So let's continue to worship God with His Word and then the preached Word. All right? And if you have your Bible with you, would you please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10? Deuteronomy chapter 10. And I I will read from there. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 to 22. And I'll continue to read Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, and Galatians. Um, And you can put your finger mostly on uh, chapter 10 first. All right. So if you have your Bible with you, otherwise, uh, in your bulletin, right? Uh, the, the, the texts are printed there as well. I think it's in page 4, okay? In page 4. So you can follow that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and I read. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth within with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all, all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the word of God. Let's bow down our heads to pray for His revealing of the pre- of the word. Oh dear God, merciful and mighty, awesome indeed, Lord, you love us and have revealed yourself in the word that we might feed on and grow and indeed be very, very nourished. And through Christ, Lord, you have shown us yourself 
that we may see the living God from the Scripture. So Lord, we pray right now, your Holy Spirit be with us, impress upon your, uh, your very word on us through the preached word, your servant. And so Lord, help me to indeed preach with bonus and much compassion for your people and the friends around us that may hear your word and Lord, indeed, receive your promise of salvation. In Christ's name, I do pray. Amen. Science matters. Science matters. Those who are husbands, you love your wives, don't you? Now try telling your wives, I love you for a week, two weeks, and perhaps a month. Now try telling them two months in a row without a kiss. What would the wife think? The kiss is a sign and our expression of the inward reality of love. Sign matters. God knows that outwardly sign is important to his inward reality of love to his people. So God make available a sign to keep and he'll help the Jews uh, to remind of the Jews of their love and promise to him. The sign is recorded in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible. The sermon text today is taken mainly from the book of Deuteronomy. The purpose of the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible is to remind the people of Israel to be faithful to God. And Moses was the main author of the book of Deuteronomy. It was written like a, a summary of the first four books of the Bible. Now, it captures the history of the relationship of Israel with God. It's their history in the wilderness since they left Egypt and their captivity as slaves. Moses was reminding his people that God is indeed a promise keeper. He was engaging them and encouraging them that they would arrive at their promised land just as God was fulfilling His promises to their ancestral fathers. Now, at the same time, the, the sign of God in Deuteronomy also points to a future promise, like what just now Elder Ari has shared during the devotion, the early morning devotion. That promise has to do with Israel. It has to do with you and I. So listen and follow the sermon closely to learn if you might have that promise for you as well. And since the Lord God is a promise keeper, we must put on Christ with the sign of His promise. The question for us naturally would be how to put on Christ. Now you put on Christ with your worship to apply to your life. You put on Christ with your worship to apply to your life. 
Firstly, worship with all your heart for your good. And secondly, apply a visible sign for the good of others as well. And finally, you may live a life of promise in Christ. Now let's put on Christ beginning with worship. Worship with all your heart for your good. Now Deuteronomy uh, verse 12 is an echo of uh, the first two of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord, your God. That's the first. And the second is, you shall have no other gods before me. Now the Ten Commandments are God's moral compass for His people. And here Moses told His people to fear the Lord their God. In other words, since, you know, uh, in other words, God, in fact, Moses was asking the people to give God their due respect or His due respect since they believed their God was their creator. Now, it's like a, a child ought to be respectful, right? To be respectful to the parents who knows what is, uh, who respectful to the parents who birthed them. And if truly Israel believes that their God is their creator who knows what's best for them, then they ought to act on their belief. They ought to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve their God with all their hearts and with all their souls. The people of Israel were to live out God's way. However, God does not want just an you know, outward appearance of religion, right? uh, of worship. They are to check their hearts. Check what moves them to worship and practice their religion and life. The heart for God is not just simply an emotion, all right, of a person. It represents the person's inner being, the will, the mind, as well as the feelings. And God was asking all of their hearts, the whole person, and not just a part of a person. But why would God require that of His people, you might ask? Isn't God the Almighty God? Why would He require anything of mere man? Verse 13 answers, answers this, that it's for your good. It's for the Israelite good. It's for their good, as in their well-being. Right? Their well-being. Not just that they become a good or a better person, all right? It's for their good that the people worship God with all their hearts rather than mixing it up, their worship with other things. You see, God reveals to us in the Bible from Romans chapter 1, eh? it says this from verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honour Him as God or give thanks to Him and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, replicates, images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things or creeping things. Now God created humans with a heart for worship. If a person does not worship the creator God, he will then replace 
God. The person will find replacements to fill up his appetite for worship. But then you might say, you know, Pastor Terrence, not truly. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't bow down to birds, you know. Not in this time. I don't bow down to birds. I don't bow down to animals or, or statues or anything like that. In fact, you know what? I bow down to no one. Now pause. Pause here and think with me just for a little moment. Pause and think. Answer two questions honestly for yourself. First, what will make my life feel meaningless or useless if I lose it? First question, what would make my life feel meaningless or useless if I lose it? Would it be your best friends? Would it be your grades? Would it be your scholarship? Would it be your avatar in a game? You know, you spend so much time building up the avatar, right? Would it be your job? Would it be your boss? Would it be money, your money? Would it be even your spouse, your children, your child? Your control of things, I must have control, total control. Would it be your success or whatever that may be? Or even your perfection of things? Now answer this second question. Have I bowed down to the demands of what I fear losing? Have I bowed down to the demands of what I fear losing? Those that you bow down to demanding the most, if not all of your minds, all of your feeling, all of your time, if not most, all, they are mostly and most likely the idols that you worship. And that's similar and represented, another similar and represented by an idol that Israel was worshiping. The golden calf. The golden calf was made before our text today in Deuteronomy chapter 9. When Moses saw that his people were worshiping a golden calf, he smashed the first set of the stone tablets out of his great sadness. Uh, not iPads, uh, by the way. That time, no iPads. So the tablets, right, is basically stone tablets. And the Ten Commandments were written by God Himself on the ten or, the, or on the tablets, two of them. The creation of the idol, the golden calf, was a portrayal of their half-hearted worship to God. Their worship was mixed with many other idols in their hearts. Now, Christians, would you give God a half-hearted worship? Now, if you do, you may be in danger of mixing your worship up, your worship with God, mixing it up with the idols 
in your hearts. And guess what? God loves you. God <laughs> loves you. He's gracious and He's patient to you and Israel. And at the beginning of chapter 10, God instructed Moses to cut out a second set of uh, tablets of stone. And then God again wrote the Ten Commandments on the two tablets. Now, they are moral laws of God. They are like the traffic light to serve as a guide to keep you safe at the junction, especially at the junction of life-changing decisions. However, when Israel breaks the first commandment to love God with all of their hearts, they eventually break the rest of the commandments. The fifth commandment says, to honour your father and mother. Breaking it, children will disobey their father and mother and eventually all other authorities in their life. The commandment says, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not be covetous, which is don't, don't be greedy for somebody else's things. And in our current world, a world that not only denies, but also despises God. We are now living in a world breaking all our morals. Just click on the news. Or some of you, right, nowadays, you just take out your smartphone and just Google something. You will find this. Parents hurting children. I just saw a news, a very sad one, recently in Singapore. The mom actually in inject insulin into a child, pretending that he or she is sick. And almost kill him or her. Children hurting parents. We hear news of violence against the parents. We have murderers who could now even justify themselves what as victims of this and that. And then the victims are the one that becomes the public offenders. Unfaithful husband, unfaithful wives, committing adultery now is taken as normal. In fact, currently, we're in the review of a law that allows that to happen even more often. We're on the brink of unable to tell fake news from the real one that the government have to step in and say, hey, which one is new, which one is real, and which one is fake? And guess what? We then empowered and able those mega money cheaters with our greed and so on and so forth. They used to be millions of dollars cheats. Now we are approaching billion dollars cheat. Now before you go say, oh, Pastor, you are giving me all the doom and gloom. Huh? How, how, uh, how, how is that? I want to say this. However, our current day bad news is not that new either. In Moses' time, 
there are no lack of bad news. There is no lack of bad news. Israel repeatedly failed to keep her promise to God. And yet, and yet in verse 15, God says that He set His heart in love for Israel's founding fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised Abraham that he will have many children and they will be above all others. And they were. In other words, the Lord God is a promise maker as well as a promise keeper. Here we get a glimpse of God's heart in love, in love for His people by keeping His promise. So God said to Israel, it is for your good, it is for your good that you check your hearts if they are worshipping with all of their hearts so that they don't become part of the bad news in the world. And the good news is that God is gracious and loving. He knows that His people need a visible reminder. They need a sign to help, right? And we need the sign, and we also need the sign to help us remember our love, our worship, and even promise to God, to Himself. In other words, God knows that our, our, <coughs> our bond of love needs a visible sign. God's visible sign is like a wedding band or wedding ring, right? The ring's purpose is to visibly remind the wearer of, the wedding, of their wearing vows and promises made to each other. And then the couple is to be reminded to be faithful to one another. Sign matters. God knows that a visible sign is important to an inward reality of love. So God made available a sign, a visible sign to help the Jews in their worship. Now the sign would be like a bridge between their worship of God and their living out of their faith. So the sign is like an in-between. It's like a bridge over, okay? That with the sign, Israel would be able to bring their worship applying to their whole lives. And the sign need to be first applied. In fact, they will put on Christ with firstly worship with all their heart for their good. And then secondly, right, they would apply a visible sign for the good of others as well. Now, what comes next may sound a little bit bizarre or rather bizarre or even crude to some of you. Now, before you, but before you shrink back and shut your, shut your ears and shut your heart and your mind to this, now let me explain what circumcision is. It's important to the Jews and Christians alike. And nearing at the end, of the sermon, you will get to know it's significant, really, to all our baptism candidates. Circumcision was made an official outward visible sign between God and Abraham in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Again, the sign acts like a bridge between Abraham's worship to his God and leaving out his faith. God instructed Abraham to, to have all the Jewish uh, males, males, right, men, boys, 
from the youngest to the oldest, to be circumcised. It's a removal of a skin that leaves a permanent, permanent, permanent mark, an outward and most visible sign applied on a boy or a man. Every man or boy either has to cut and remove their foreskins or they will be cut off as God's people. The sign was a most visible and constant reminder of them to stay faithful to their God. Now, do you know that till this very day, the Jewish people still apply circumcision on their baby boys to this day? However, however over time, Abraham's, Abraham's children forgot that circumcision was an applied outward sign to an inward reality of their heart. The inward reality of a love relationship with God. Over time, they thought that circumcision was like a membership pass into a most holy club. They thought that circumcision was one of the checkboxes to just cross and then buy their way into heaven. But verse 17 says this. Verse 17 says that God, God cannot be bought by their outward performance of religions. The Lord God is great. He's mighty. He's an awesome God. So what does that mean? It means that He doesn't need anything or anyone's good, good works or performance of religion. The outward sign of circumcision is not for God. It's for them, for their good. In other words, the Lord God doesn't need our good deeds. So Christianity is not about performing good deeds. All right? It must first begin with the desire of the heart to worship Him, the Lord God, for our good. The Israel people's heart, at a very point of time, they would have been exposed and very raw when Moses cut to the chase and go to verse, 17, uh, verse 16. He says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of, of your heart. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. In the Greek, it's basically stiff-necked. In other words, remove whatever, remove whatever is blocking your heart so that you're no longer stubborn against God. Now, the question for us is, what would be blocking your heart today? Are you feeling injustice or feeling unjust for others? Well, here is the good news for you. Verse 17 and 19, or verse 17 through 19, tells you that God, what? God is, God is a perfect and just God. It is not partial, and He does not take a bribe. You cannot buy God. You cannot buy His favor. In other words, He doesn't show favoritism 
to the best, to the smartest, or to the richest. As the world does. In fact, he brings about justice for the fatherless and the widow. And God also loves the foreigners, the sojourners, right? Are actually foreigners who were joining the Jewish community. So the faith here was and is open to all, you and I, who wants to believe the God of Israel, the Creator God. And how does God apply His love and justice for, for the good of others, which is like you and me, the foreigners? He does it through His people with His sign. But they are the first to love God inwardly and then outwardly apply the sign and then practice obedience and faithfulness to God. So here, the order is very important. you got to get this. The order is important. It must be first heartfelt before applying the sign. For the Jews, the sign is circumcision. Now Christians who are mostly foreigners to Israel must believe that the God of uh, Israel as well. So Christians, the natural question for all of us here, for even those of you who are not, right? You will ask your Christian friends, hey, now I know this, huh? circumcision huh? is a very important sign, you know, uh, to believe this God, the Creator. Wouldn't the believing men and boys have to be circumcised as well? Now, the question can only be resolved with a promise of Christ. That's why Christians have to put on Christ. Now, again, you ask how to put on Christ. Let me say it again and remind us. Firstly, worship with all your heart. And then secondly, apply a sign. It acts like a bridge between worship and living. Then you may live a life of promise in Christ. In the Bible, we learn that Israel's worship and the sign of circumcision come with a promise of God. When the Jews apply the sign completely, holistically, wholesomely, they would be loving and worshipping God with all of their hearts. And then they outwardly would be loving others as well. They would have hold fast or cling on to Him. They would have swear by His name. In other words, they would have lived a life of promise faithful to God. And verse 20 uses the language of actually a marriage. The language of a marriage. Hold fast and swear by His name to describe the relationship of God and His people like a relationship of a husband and wife. In essence, God desires His people to take their relationship seriously, like a spiritual marriage. They are to keep their vows and stay faithful to Him. Now, more than just telling them all the time, like through Moses, God gave them a sign, the circumcision, to apply and strengthen their faith 
<laughs> and God was gracious to use a very visible sign and literally close to their hearts. The sign should point them to recall all their history and relationship with God. Then verse 21 says this, that they, are first, uh, they were first-hand eyewitnesses to all the great and terrifying things that God has done to Israel and Egypt. So on the one hand, God was a terror to the Egyptian pharaohs, the chariots and the armies, when all of them were drowned. In fact, they were broke, most likely broken, all right? With the, you know, when God stopped holding the walls of the Red Sea and it came crashing onto them like tons of bricks. Uh, just imagine that. Have you done bungee jumping before? Oh, no, 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 but not bungee jumping. Sorry, like jumping off a platform and down into the water. You did that, right? And if you widespread yourself, uh, what happened? You feel like tons, like you are smashing onto a wall, right? Uh, that's exactly probably how they felt. First, the smashing of tons of brick onto them. And then the next thing they know, they were drowned, the Egyptians. So on, on one hand, God was terrifying to the Egyptians, those who do not believe God, and stubborn not to believe God. Now on the other hand, God was great in protecting, He's mighty in protecting Israel by the crossing of the Red Sea. And the people of Israel were were finally rescued from the tyranny of the Egyptians. So every time, every time they see their sign of circumcision, what happened? They praise God, as the text say. And that's why you know now why they praise God. And the sign comes with God's never-ending promise. He promised Abraham that he will have many children given a land and they will become right a great nation. Verse 22 recalls that Abraham's son, who is Isaac's family uh, of 70, so now you know that the 70 in the text refers to Isaac himself with his 70, or some, right, 70 members, that now is becoming a great nation of hundreds of thousands of men. And with their wives and many children, they could be moving as a million people. So imagine a million, almost a million people moving in the wilderness. The children of Abraham would truly be as many as the stars as they could see and count in the skies in their desert night. That was because God's promise to Abraham was being fulfilled. And listen to this, it's being fulfilling now, even now. Because the sign of circumcision points to a future promise of God. The sign of circumcision foreshadows a greater sign that points to a greater promise of God to be fulfilled. Now, a foreshadow or a shadow gives the telltale signs of the shape and outline of what the real thing is without the definition of colors, without textures, and without features. In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God revealed things that were shadows of the real things to come in the New Testament. So from the time of Abraham and Moses, a 
few thousand years later, God revealed to His people what circumcision foreshadowed in Colossians chapter 2, 11 to 12. And He says this, and it's in the bulletin. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the, power of, in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So here is revealed that circumcision was a sign that foreshadowed the circumcision of Christ and the baptisms of the believers in Christ. Then you may ask, what is in the world the circumcision of Christ? What is the circumcision of Christ? Colossians 2.11 says this to the believers in Christ. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. So firstly, in Christ, the believer's circumcision is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. But secondly, the circumcision of Christ was both a physical one and a spiritual one. Christ putting off the body of flesh was true physically. Christ's skin, his skin was literally removed by the weeping, by the reaping of Romans' most cruel instrument that they can find. An instrument of torture on Christ, tearing him to almost unrecognizable as a man on the way to the cross. So the circumcision you see, brothers and sisters and friends, is real. The circumcision of Christ is real. Christ himself. And at the cross, Christ was putting off the body of the flesh spiritually. He removes the sin of flesh from his believers when he breathes his last at the cross. Christ took on all the sins, guilt and shame of anyone who believes in him. At the cross, He died to save you. And here is the good news. He defeated death and rose again alive. His resurrection is a sign that comes with a promise. And He promised that His believers are empowered by the Spirit to overcome both sin and eventually death. Now, believers have the power to put off sin and put on Christ. Ephesians 4 says this, You were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And that comes with the sign of his promise when the believer put on Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is the sign of the promise in Christ to his believers. It's God's grace to Christians to strengthen the faith of the Christians. And baptism doesn't, uh, does not, or by the way, baptism does not save the Christian. But it is a sign and seal for the believer like, again, a bridge between their worship and living out the faith. The sign, baptism, is to help and seal the believer's faith to live a life of promise in Christ. Now we have the promise, the sign. You know, the kiss and like the ring and the worship. We are seeing an image of the life of a Christian being developed here. Don't you see it? It's like a negative film of a camera developed into a picture with now color, resolution, and features. What does it look like? It looks like a picture of a wedding. The worship of God, the sign like a kiss or the ring, and the promise of the vows. It's the most beautiful picture of a perfect and spiritual wedding with Christ. And Christ as the groom and the church of believers as his bride. Putting on Christ is like putting on a fresh, a fresh wedding garments. However, at the end of the wedding and much through, the married ones, the couples, would often wonder if they could ever perfectly hold on to their promises and wedding vows. And here is the good news for all of us. Though Christians cannot perfectly keep their promises, the Lord God Christ keep His promises to save you. And Christ is the perfect spouse, keeping perfectly His promise made to you in the Bible with His life, with His whole life, His entire life, His all, not part, not part. His all, with all His heart, not part, not part. And all of His time, all time, from beginning to eternity, all time, He has put His dowry to receive His bride with His first coming. He's risen, he's gone back, and Christ promises that he will return to bring his bride home in the future. And his bride is his church. You who believe. Now, wouldn't you keep your promises to Christ, to the church, and to yourself? And so, every Christian must continue to worship God with all of your hearts, apply the sign of baptism, and live 
a life of promise in Christ. And since the Lord God is a promise keeper, we must put on Christ with the sign of His promise. And this is the preached word of God. 